These days in the world of food, it's all dairy-free this and vegan that, so every once in a while it's good to see a chef who could be described as a bit old school. Or as old school as a chef with a Himalayan salt chamber at his restaurant could be. But when it comes to his menu, there's no question about it. Meat leads the way. It's perhaps no wonder it's a hit with critics and customers alike. This is Source Material. Welcome along to Source Material and our road trip continues this week to the restaurant that can lay claim to being the pride of the Principality, introducing head chef of Inesir in deepest, darkest Wales, Gareth Ward. Firstly, Gareth, how was my Welsh? Yeah, that's not too bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you speak any Welsh now that you've now that you've lived there for quite some time? No. I wish I did. Um I've had a, <laughs> I, I should have I've got no excuse, I should have learned it by now. I um I had a Welsh speaking test the other day. <laughs> well, a couple of weeks ago on um some online chat I had with Claire Bossy and I failed I failed miserably. So Oh dear. Yeah. Oh. But I'm from Newcastle and we have trouble speaking English, so <laughs> and also I mean this is the thing that people are doing it's like what have you done in lockdown I've spent some time learning another language you could have mastered Welsh but instead it's been spending a little bit of quality time with your with the new arrival in your family which is nice yeah Carl Carl arrived in uh, well nine months ago and um, as usual I thought like oh great I'm, I'm going to see him about once a week and um, this happened and I've seen him every day and I've watched him grow up so it's yeah, silver lining is I, I've actually watched one of my children. <laughs> it's first the first year, so it's been great. Yeah, maybe maybe in sort of when he's three or four, or even maybe later this year, he sort of might be wondering where's where's dad gone all of a sudden? I haven't seen dad yeah. for about two weeks. Yeah, for the first couple of months, well, first few months of him being born, he was at work every day, and um, he didn't like it, but that's what he did, and that's. <laughs> That was the way it was going to be. I mean, Amelia came straight back to work after giving birth, you know. But obviously her hours changed from all day to just half a day. But she was there, you know, he was there. And, um, yeah, he didn't he didn't enjoy it very much. But now he's absolutely loving the fact that we're both at home together and, you know, we eat together and we go to bed together and we wake up together. And uh, he's we took him into work the other day to do a bit of paperwork and he kicked off. <laughs> he, saw he prefers the, the hikes to the paperwork. Yeah, probably, I he, imagine much he, like you. He was like, "Hey, up! What's going on here?" <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was not happy. So, getting him back to work eventually is going to be tough. I think we're going to need childminder. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about your place then. And and I've whilst doing the research, you read stuff online, and and, and also during this process of, of even recording some some of these pods so far. I tell you what. No one has a bad word to say about your place. Oh, well, that's you might be able to tell me differently. Well, I mean, I hope not. I mean, of course, you, you can't you can't please everybody. I mean, if you went into the customer world, there'd be a few people probably that wouldn't like it. But it, we we keep it real, don't we? Here, like like we 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 normal people, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We take what we do very seriously, but we're just having fun. And I think that if you're having fun and all you all your staff are having fun. You know, and the atmosphere is light and and fun when people come and they enjoy themselves. You know, and I think that's like what it is here. You know, and it's really. I mean, I'm super, super like bowled over that people don't have a bad thing to say about it. And then you don't, you don't want people sagging you off. You know what I mean? You don't want people saying it's this and that. You know, and that's be, just being honest to yourself in it. And you know, like cooking what you want to cook and making sure that you're using the best ingredients that you can find and not ripping people off. You know, and 
and cooking tasty tasty food and that's what it's all about and giving people a great time you know and that's what we that's I'll, that's what i go to work every day to do you know and it's like that that i want to please people i want people to be happy i want people to go here and say oh inner is amazing you know what i mean like that's what yeah, that's what that's the job in it but you know what it's like, especially in, in the sort of restaurant industry, whether it be with critics or actually, I think, probably with customers, that if people see something that is almost given a universally positive review, mm. they'll almost look to find something wrong with it just for the sake of saying, well, I, I disagree with that. But, it, you know, I went through pages and pages on TripAdvisor and everyone, everyone loved it. But I guess, would you say that having that attitude that, we do what we want to do. We go to work so we can enjoy ourselves. It makes you less immune to the sort of whims of yeah. When you don't become the flavor of the month, yeah, it's um, it's the only way to be. And I mean, I mean, it's only my opinion, but I can't understand anybody that would go to work and absolutely hate it. It's like go and do something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're not yeah, like I there's totally a million agree. other things to do in this world. Like, why the hell spend? most of your life doing something that you can't you can't stand you know so i i go to work because i absolutely love cooking it's like an addiction it's a hobby you know and we run our restaurant the way that i want to go out and eat like i want it i don't want to eat in stuffy restaurants i don't want to feel like i'm at, i'm like being watched and you know like it's hard work to eat a meal you know i want to put some awesome music on you know pump it out loud, eat some incredibly tasty <laughs> food, loads of it, you know, like, and just have a great time, you know, and that's like, I go to work and I cook for me, you know, I go to work every day and I don't like, if you don't like it, if you can't eat it, well, I'm really sorry, you, you can't come because I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't do a vegetarian menu because I don't, I'm not vegetarian, like, you know what I mean? And that, that's what I do. I cook the food I want to cook, you know, and that's what we do. And like, it's not like, arrogance or trying to put anybody off it's just like that is what i want to do every day just just in a sense of of being sort of of recognized and and being appreciated would it be fair to say that that being well received by the good food guide is significant for you because of of being given the book when you were a very young chef and and to be number four in the top 50 restaurants cooking score of nine this year is that's some going yeah um like i was blown like when she rang me and told me that I remember the conversation I was in. I was actually in Cornwall on a summer holiday with my kids. And we were doing, we were in the truck. We had a tent in the back and we were camping our way around the coast of Cornwall for two weeks. And we'd, we decided that we were going to have a, light, uh, a night of luxury. So we, we booked into Idle Rocks <laughs> with them where Guy Owen used to be their chef. And I know Guy, so yeah. I rang him up and said, have you got any rooms for tonight? And he's like, actually, I'll do your deal. And uh, it was beautiful, man. And like she rang me and said, "I, can you talk?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course I can." She says, uh, "You might need to sit down." I was, like, <laughs> oh, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like something's happened anyway. And she says, um, "I've got three three bits of good news for you." And then she's like, "The first one was like, yeah, you're number four in the Good Food Guide this year." I was like, "You are kidding me." <laughs> And then I was trying to think, well, what score would that be? Because you know I mean? she, she's like, oh, you're eight out, nine out of ten. And I was like, oh, my God. And she said, oh, just to top it off, you're chef of the year as well. <laughs> just, for the little, just for the little cherry on the top there. Yeah, yeah, and I was like crying and I was just like... Because, yeah, the good food guy to me is, I mean, obviously, it's only somebody's opinion. You know, like all of these guides, like I try not to get... I used to, 
and it was only very recently I used to like go I used to get really concerned about them and stuff in the last the last few years I've kind of like grown up and realized that it is just somebody else's opinion it's no different to somebody writing a review on TripAdvisor or a critic coming and putting a, a review in a newspaper or somebody eating in front of you and telling you how they thought the meal was it's got no difference at all you know what I mean it, the Michelin guide is just somebody's opinion the good food guide is exactly the same you know like the same people that ate in our restaurant for the good food guide, if it had been different people, we might not have got that score because they have a different opinion to everybody else. You can only really comment on something that you've experienced yourself and, you know, they don't... Like, I don't know how many people decide that on your score in the good food guide, but I can't imagine every single one of them's eating in your restaurant. You know? You know, it's as simple as that. Like, because the budget isn't there. It's simply, you know, these these guys are businesses... And they haven't got the budget to eat. Like the Michelin guide is, they don't have the budget to spend as much as they used to anymore because everyone's on on the breadline, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I'm hugely, I'm blown away by it, you know. But you don't get lost in it. I mean, the, the good food guide is the is got a place in my heart, you know, because of what it is. And like you said, like when I started cooking, that was the first guide I was introduced to. You know, and so like I remember reading it and getting like kind of like blown away and lost in the whole, the whole stories of these restaurants I was reading about and like oh my god I've never I don't even know what that is like I need to know that and walking into Hamilton Hall for the first time and like and I saw these guys running around a huge brigade and cooking food and smelling things and tasting things I'd never ever seen before in my life and thinking this is this is the real deal like I've been working in a pub for four years. But this is this is real, <laughs> you know. Well, we're gonna go. We're gonna go into your journey a little bit bit more later on. But in terms of of some of the other names in that top ten, I mean, it's like a who's who, isn't it? With Gordon Ramsay, Claude Bossy, Claire Smythe. But but significantly in there as well is is Sat Baines, and, yeah. and obviously you worked with him. Yeah. How much credit does he deserve for for where you've got to as a chef? Would you say? Well, that's an absolute legend. You know what I mean? Like you can't argue with that. He's you know, like what he is, is he's just, he teaches you stuff that you just don't learn in other restaurants. And I'm not talking about food. Yeah, he, For one, he just teaches you about flavour, which is what I learned from him. You know, when I got to Sats, I could already cook. You know, I'd been working at Hamilton. And what I'd learned at Hamilton is how to cook everything from like scratch, from like you get an animal through the door, you rip its fur off, you pull its guts out, you break it down, you make a sauce from all the trim, you cook every part of that animal in a different way, not in a water bath, in an oven or, you know, or a slow <laughs> cook or a porch, you know, or under the grill or whatever. Like we were doing assets of everything back in the day, but the whole lot was cooked like to from your hands. There was no water baths in that kitchen when I was there. So if you wanted to porch something... You'd have a little terrine bowl set up at the back of your stove full of stock with herbs and butter and stuff in there. And you put your bird in, you know, and you put your timer on, you take it out and you test it to make sure it was it was poached perfectly. And then you'd let it rest somewhere so the skin would dry out and you'd get it crispy in a pan, form a butter, you know. It's like that is that was I learned I just spent five years of my life there and I did three years of that on the sauce section and you was like you know, you had the the guy on fish had two courses on the menu in the summer. He had one course in the winter. <laughs> and you had starters as well. You were doing everything. But it was unbelievable. Like that that time of my life was like Aaron and, and that, that place was just it, it made me what I am today. And then going to Sats, he just 
opens your mind to food like and flavor and and there's no restrictions there's nothing you can't do like a lot of french cooking is that is how you make a souffle don't ever change it you know what i mean and the souffle yeah. recipe hasn't changed for hundreds of years it's the same thing and if you try to change it someone would kill you <laughs> you know what I mean and it's like and it well, might not work particularly well yeah, yeah. and with and with that it's like can you do that and it's never like no that won't work or no it's just like well we don't know until we try it do we and then you do it and you're like how the hell does that work oh my god it tastes amazing you know and it's all about just explosion of flavour you know and but the only thing the other thing he taught me is and which is what um, I spoke about to you before was aggressiveness in times when times are hard <clears throat> and always pushing so now obviously we're in really shit times you know and the most sensible thing to do is just to sit on your money if you've got any if you're lucky enough to have any and not spend it and try and protect it as much as you can and you know and and wait till uh, till this is over but what he taught me was well, I started there when just before the recession or it might have just happened and we had five members of staff when I started there in a tiny kitchen. And then when they came out the other side of recession, we think we had about 14 members of staff. He'd built a huge extension. He'd built a, the DK, the development kitchen at the time, you know, and he was just like, you, he, he used to say this to us, you need to come out of the other end of this on fire. Like you need to be ahead of the game. You need to be ahead of everybody. You can't just sit back. Because when you come out the other end, then you're chasing. The, you're chasing. He says you need to be ahead, and you, and like so he would, he would invest and he would build and he would you know improve and that was just like that's a genius you know and a, a really like just a clever guy and and passionate and yeah, so I'm doing the same here now like we we close but I've got the builders here you know the builder lives in the village I'm very lucky he's got about twenty kids so he needs a job. <laughs> yeah, he's not gonna. He's not gonna be able to feed everybody on the on the toll. <laughs> so yeah, he's uh, he's in the garden and he's redeveloping. When we re we redoing the way and see it looks. So when you come back, it doesn't look like a country house hotel anymore. It looks like what I, my vision of a restaurant and rooms is, which is all I've always wanted to do, but we've just never had the time. So yeah, we're we're pushing forward from a, f- a flavor perspective. I think there's probably. Would it be fair to say that there's, a, there's an Asian influence in, in what you do and, and obviously that is, is certainly present in what he does. Is it directly that come from um, him or there are other influences you've picked up as well that, that's taken you down that path? Um, obviously, the first time I'd ever cooked anything like that was there. Um, I think we've a lot more Asian than he is. Um, I'd say a lot more. And that just becomes, uh, that's because I'm absolutely addicted. That's like my favourite food in the world. Like I crave miso, soy, rice vinegar, mirin, everything all constantly. Um, that's they're my favourite flavours. That's what I like I said before, like I go to work for me and I cook the food I want to cook. Like if I had a choice, I'd eat that food all day, every day. You know, maybe the odd Sunday lunch chucked in every now and again just for <laughs> just to like keep things keep things real, but that's my favourite kind of food. I crave it, you know, and barbecuing and all the rest of it. So Obviously, I learned a little bit of it with him, but then when I got here, I just started experimenting and just start pushing and finding new ingredients and cooking them my way. And our food is our food, very much our food. Like it's you know, it we don't follow anybody, we don't really watch what anybody else is doing. We try and keep it our own style, and uh, the influence and the development comes from 
within our four walls, you know, we're not picking up any books or anything or we're not watching what other people are doing and saying, oh, let's recreate that. It's just like, I'll have a daft idea and we'll say, well, the, <laughs> I love char pork, let's do char pork. Let's just do it our own way. So then you start messing around with it and, you know, you ring Sushi Sushi, Stu, who's one of my best mates, and you say, right, just start sending me loads of stuff. <laughs> loads of ingredients and I'll start making something and I'll see what happens at the other end. And then you, nine times out of ten, you come up with something really good. Uh, talking of of wild ideas, certainly I'd say what one would fall into that category is having within your grounds a Himalayan salt chamber. Yeah, for your local wagyu beef. So, so tell us a little bit about that. So, when I got to Inesia, what well, what is it? Nearly six and a half years ago. So nearly seven years actually. It is seven years in July. Um, we used to buy a lot of aged meat. Uh, from elsewhere I mean here like you said before we're in the deepest darkest people see you're in the middle of nowhere we're not actually we're at the end of nowhere because you've got to go through the middle of nowhere to get here <laughs> you know that's like kind of my little thing um, and everything's couriered we don't get anything delivered by personal light by hands unless it's like the local egg lady or the guy who has a field down the road that kills his own lambs and brings them over you know it's like Everything is curried, so we used to buy loads of aged meat and it used to be brought and we used to put it in the fridge and then we used to use it. And then it kind of got like, you've got no control over that. Like, you're relying on somebody else to age it for you and you don't know what they're like. You don't know how human, how many people are touching that. <clears throat> you don't know how many people are going in the fridge. And then it just got bad. It just got worse and things came in and they went, right, well, you can't send it back, you know. Or, and you've ordered it aged, so it's obviously going to be on the menu then. You know, so you're like, right, okay, now I can't put that on the menu because I haven't got it. <laughs> it's going to take another week for me to get any more. So it's just like, all right, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to do it myself. So then we invested and we, we bought a fridge and then we, we lined it with um, the Himalayan salt. And everyone was just like, what are you doing? This is ridiculously expensive. <laughs> I was like, like we've, we were the first restaurant, as far as I know, in this country to have a full salt chamber. And there's a few people got one on the back of us now. Um, and it was ridiculously expensive, you know, like, and I was, they've got a dehumidifier in there keeping it dry and I've got UV filters killing all the back, cleaning the air so it sucks the air through, passes it through UV light, pushes out the other end clean. So when you go in there, it doesn't smell, you know, and that's how a, a salt chamber, like a proper aging salt chamber should be. There's a beautiful smell of aged meat, but there's no bad smells, you know, and nothing's moldy you know everything's just beautifully dry and you get a lot bit of mold there but it's all good white stuff you know what i mean and so it's all really controlled and the temperature's perfect and you don't go in there unless you have to so you nobody's allowed just to walk in it's locked you know and you've got to ask me for the key to get in and it's just like changes your world man like we've we age in everything to we age in fish you know we, obviously we age in foie gras we age it we we anything you age it we'll put it in there well, I'll age chefs, put them in there, <laughs> cover them in fat. <laughs> Beautiful. Come out covered in fat, nice. Yeah, yeah. And that, and when when you look at sort of some of the some of the styles, and when you sort of the mission statement for whatever better phrase on your website is aging, pickling, foraging, salting, preserving, souring. What what do some of those some of those things? I think maybe sometimes come with a bit of a negative connotation, like pickling, for example. Sometimes it, you know you you imagine the old pickled eggs or pickled onions yeah, at the end of the yeah. bar but what what should a great food that's been pickled give you in terms of flavor and, and why you put it on plates of food well it's preserving so most of our pickling is done 
in seasons. So we've just finished pickling all the wild garlic. So that means I've got wild garlic all year round now, you know. So we, we'll take the wild garlic and we'll break it into three things. So we'll we'll take the leaves off, we'll blend the leaves into oil. And then you, you freeze the oil and then you've got wild garlic oil all year round. And it's as fresh as you, as when you take it out a year later, it's as fresh as it was when it went in. You know, so you can use it all year. Um, we've got the pickled stems, which is like a beautiful pickled, crunchy, full of flavour, really acidic, loads of garlic flavour, you know, so we've got them. And then we we make vinegar as well, which then we do make vinaigrettes or we reduce the vinegar and make a glaze for the... Because basically, we do all the wild garlic for one dish, which is the garlic prawn. So we've got this beautiful langoustine from Scotland and we just barbecue on one side really quickly so they're still raw. And then we just serve it with an awesome soya dressing made out of all the heads. So it's like salty and sweet and full, really fishy. And then we season that with the wild garlic vinegar that we make. And then we've got the wild garlic chopped on top and then the oil. And it's just like, it's garlic prawn, but my version of it, you know. And then we've got that dishes on all year round. And then it's elders coming up next. So we make the elder oil and we'll pickle the flowers, you know, and we'll make vinegar. And it's it's having that, like I've got, Beside my meat fridge, I've got a preserve fridge and it's full of all these preserves from all over the year. You know, and there's some things in there being there for a couple of years. I've got like we, we get green strawberries from the farm down the road. You know, she picks these green strawberries for us and we pickle them. And they're and they're amazing. Like they're crunchy and you've got like this malic acid like you get in green strawberries with like apples, you know, it's like it's appley and it's got almost like a little flavour of tea. It's like really weird. So we make this like little salsa out of it with like the elder and mustard and things like that and elderflower oil and we spread it over meat and it's it's unbelievable. It's just having this stuff. It's like if you come up with an idea tomorrow and say, is it in the middle of winter and all you've got is root veg? You've got nothing. So you think I want some of I want some of fresh. Let's do some of fresh. Oh, I've got loads of cherries pickled in the in the freeze in the preserve fridge. Let's do some of it with them. Like otherwise you've got to wait till the summer. Before you can get cherries again, <laughs> you know. So it's like it's just having these fresh notes. Like we can put these elements on dishes in the winter that just livens things up and just gives it like that bit of like, okay, it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all just root vegetables, you know. It's not all heavy. It's we can make things nice and light and yeah. It's it's if it's done right, it's amazing, you know. And we we always harness these. Like birch is one of the big ones. We've just like tapped all of the birch trees you know in the local area and we've it's it's the hardest job without a doubt through the year you, you're driving around with huge buckets of birch water you know and you need like thousands of liters of it to get any kind of yield so we've ended up with 11 liters of reduced thick birch syrup which is exactly like maple but the british version now 11 to get 11 liters of birch syrup I've had to have a few thousand litres of water because you, you've got to reduce it by 98%, you know, which is crazy. And you've got gas bottles outside with big burners and huge pans just reducing birch 24-7 for a month. You know, you get up in the morning and the pans are outside your house just reducing down and you just have a look, make sure it's all right, it hasn't burnt. <laughs> it doesn't stop. And if it has, you're in trouble. Yeah, and then and it's just for like... But then you've got this beautiful homemade syrup that you can use on like 
I had an idea the other day, which I haven't had a chance to do yet, but like aging some beautiful duck on the crown, you know, in meat fridge and then really slowly cook it and then smoking it over birch wood and then just brushing it with birch syrup and then serving it with some beautiful like soured cabbage or something. I just think it would be amazing, you know, maybe some smoky bacon or something like that. It was like, but I've got that. It's in my fridge so I can do it rather than thinking, okay, well, where am I going to buy that from and how much is it going to cost me? And, or I'm going to have to wait till next year to do it now because I've just had the idea. It's like, yeah, it's, I, lo- I love it. I get really passionate about it. <laughs> as you can uh, well, I won't lie to you. We're recording this podcast just before lunch and everything I eat for the rest of the day is going to be a massive anti-climax after this conversation. <laughs> it's, going to be, it's going to be, the beans on toast I'm about to eat, it's going to be dreadful. Yeah. Um, the other thing you will find on, on your website, apart from your mission statement, is, is your playlist, is the albums that are being listened to yeah. um, in the restaurant. <clears throat> so... Bit of a challenge for you. I've got four of the albums. Right. What I want you to do oh, this is, is associate, if I give you an album, right. you give me either a dish or just an ingredient that you associate with it straight away. Right, go on then. Ready? Right. First one, Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. Oh, oh. garlic prawn. Right, good. Yeah. Good start. Yeah. Number two. Dr. Dre, The Chronic. Oh, yeah, it's got to be some barbecue pork or some more beef in it, like short rib with shiitake. Definitely, like, that, that's what I want to eat when I'm listening to that song. Straight off the bat here. Yeah. Number three, Liam Gallagher, as you were. Oh, just a pint in the bar, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Bottle finally... Newcastle Brown uh, Ale, definitely. Raw Nuki Brown, <clears throat> got to be, hasn't it, with you? Yeah, man. Uh, and the... And the prodigy uh, music for a jilted generation. That's something that we listen to when we're setting up in the kitchen. We put the prodigy on, so we've got we've actually got a DJ now. I don't know if you know that. So I didn't I, know that. No. Yeah, Mark, a guy called Mark. He's. Um, I, do you know what it is, mate? This is the thing, mate. I've always, <laughs> I've always said, like for years, me and Amelia have always talked about it as well. Like we always wanted a record player in our restaurant. From from the moment we met each other, we said one day we'll get a restaurant, whatever. We want a record player, right? Cool. Yeah, let's get a record player. So one of the first things we did when we took over it in a say was we had an iPod, right? Which um, was in the when we when I just worked here as head chef, and it was just in a sea restaurant, in a sea hotel. We had an iPod on a dock in the restaurant, and it was the worst thing. I used to drive me mad. <laughs> it was like you sat in a Michelin star restaurant, and you're, <laughs> and you're listening to the Lighthouse Family on an iPod dock. It's shit. Yeah, I mean, everyone <laughs> may as well just bring in their own phone and yeah. just stick it on your own and it table. used to drive me nuts and I used to think, like, this can't, like, can't be real. Like, I've got to sort this out. And anyway, like, things happened and we ended up with the business and it was like, right, let's get a record player. And then we then we spent a fortune on the sound systems. I've actually got the guy here today fitting more speakers. So we spent an absolute fortune on getting, like, a proper system put in you know, like all hidden speakers and subs and everywhere because I just love my music. And then it was like, I want a set of decks. <laughs> <laughs> I want a DJ. So we got... You're a frustrated DJ, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, you know what? Nightclub owner. I used to... Me and my friend, like, we got a very close friend of mine called Michael Ashton. He's he's like... Me and him and a guy called Mark and Steve as well. We used to go... Like, years ago, when I worked at Seven Stars in Shinkliff, we used to go out all the time. And just we were obsessed with music, um, and nightclubs and DJs, and we just used to go out. We just used to never sleep really. Uh, and I've always wanted to be a DJ, but I just I don't. I, every time I try and learn, I just I can't do it. 
I need some proper time. I should have learned in this period, to be honest. Yeah, you should have learned. That and Welsh. <clears throat> yeah, they're definitely Welsh. Um, <laughs> so, one, so this guy turned up one day, and he was a friend of a friend, and he was talking about how he's got a set of decks, and he wants to sell them. And I was like, okay, how much you want for them? He's like, oh, give me a thousand pounds. I was like, I'll have them right now. And they take me 12 tenths, like Mark II, <laughs> so they're like worth a fortune. And you, like, you can't get them anymore. Um, so I bought them, and then I bought this incredible mixer as well from these guys called Master Sounds, and you're, it's amazing mixer. And then I was like, I need a DJ now. So I advertised on Instagram for a full-time DJ, and the only one, one person applied, and it was a local guy. And he's like, he turns up and um, turns up for an interview stroke, um, like, give me, do me, a, do me a set during service. Brilliant. <laughs> so he turns up, right, and it's this guy, and he's from Towin, and um, he's like, I haven't touched, just to let you know, I haven't touched a set of decks for t- like 16 years. And I was like, right, Good okay. Start. And I had to show him how to turn them on, right? <laughs> and to make them work. And he was like, uh, I, when my oldest son was born, I got rid of my decks and I bought a guitar because the club scene, like, what he was doing at the time, was, was he said it wasn't right for me kids. Hardcore techno DJ, that's what he was. He'd never, I, I showed him my records. He's like, I don't know any of these songs. I've never heard them in my life. And he smashed it. The guy is like so naturally talented. As, I mean, this guy's like one of them, do you know them annoying friends that you've got that couldn't turn the hand to anything? Yeah. So he plays like scratch golf, which is what to I know of golf is that he doesn't play with a handicap because he's that good. Yeah. <laughs> you That's know? pretty much the gist of it, yeah. Yeah, and but he hates golf. He just plays golf because he's so good at it. Why wouldn't he? You know, and he's like, everything he does, he's amazing at, and he pisses me right off. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's, de- he's unbelievable at a DJ, like... And it's he he doesn't do like CG days or like it's it's all vinyl. He doesn't know how to use computers. It's like everything is like earphones, sound, you know, vinyl mix proper proper mixing, and um, yeah, and he's unbelievable. He's completely changed the atmosphere in the restaurant. So he comes in, he starts at half six every day as his staff lunch. Starts like winding up with the the playlist that like it's on the line, and then he just starts at eight o'clock. We get everybody into the restaurant with Passenger by Iggy Pop. And then he just Brilliant. goes, he goes hell for leather with the DJ, like proper mixing. And on a Friday, I'll, I'll let him bring his own techno in and we have a Friday night techno night. I've recorded Fantastic. it a few times on Instagram. It's hilarious. But when you, because obviously it's not blasting, it's not really loud. It's, it's a good level. But when it's not blasting, techno is actually amazing in a restaurant because it's quite repetitive. Where obviously, if you turned it up full blast, the customers would probably all die. You know what I mean? <laughs> but <laughs> it's uh, don't want that. Yeah, but it's it's he's he's incredible, man. And it's just like I'm just like again, it's just like who doesn't want to sit in a restaurant with a DJ, getting twenty or six courses and just having a great time, getting pissed. You know what oh, I mean? And like sounds a dream. Yeah. I, when I co- when I come to an estate for dinner, I'm probably going to turn up with a glow stick. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe a sleeveless vest on. And yeah, like a, you want like a crop top thing, like like the only uh, gear in the village. You don't want to see me in a crop top. <laughs> you definitely don't want to see me in a crop top, Gareth. I, I can assure you of that. Yeah, man. Um, I'll I'll give you one more then, one more of these songs, which isn't on your playlist then, and you can you can associate a dish or food with it. Anyway, we never Ocean Drive, Ocean, Ocean Drive by the Lighthouse Family. Oh, uh, that in the bin. 
<laughs> in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Straight in the bin. Straight in the bin. Straight in the bin. Don't want to be listening to that. You're listening to Source Material, available from all major podcast providers. To get in touch, use the hashtag Source Material on social media. You were mentioning when you started off at a place called the Seven Stars and, and the times you had back then, and that was that was right at the start of your career. And right at the start of this pod, you said, oh, I've, I love cooking. I love going into to, you know, to cook every day. Did you always love it like that when you went into the Seven Stars right at the start? Uh, when I... So the kind of the, well, I'll tell you the story. I left school, and my mum was like, "What?" You sat me down literally the day I left school, and she was like, "Right," because my mum was pretty ruthless. Anybody who knows her will tell you that. Uh, I was scared of her. She was she's hardcore, um, and she sat me down and went, "Right, you're a man now. Like you're not living here for free." I'd done pretty shit at school, to be honest. So I was like, I hadn't given her any reason to be proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're not you're not living here for free. So you've left school now. You need a, you're going to get a job, like you know. Otherwise, you go and live somewhere else. So I was like, shit. Okay. So I started thinking about what can, what I could do. And um, I'd always wanted to go in the RAF, but I was ne- that was never going to happen. Definitely not clever enough for that job. And I was going to go in the army, but I've got double vision. Like I've got really bad eyes, so uh, I couldn't get in then. And now I probably sail through the. They don't care anymore, do they? Just as many soldiers as possible. <laughs> um, uh, so I couldn't get in the army, and then I was like, I was good. I was like, okay, what about being a fireman? And at the time, there were loads of firemen off, and there was loads of strikes going on and all sorts. So that was a no, a no go. So she took me down to the careers office, and I, just before I went down, I'd spoke to my uncle. He was like my best mate. I was like, I've got to, I've got to find a job. Like I've got. Can you give me a hand? Like I need a career. <laughs> and he was like, "Why don't you be a chef?" I was like, "You what?" I bet at this time, I think my stable diet was mashed potato and gravy. <clears throat> you know, I hated food. I like, I was obviously didn't look like I do now because I obviously love food now. Um, <laughs> I didn't eat anything. wasn't interested. You know, food was just fuel. And he's like, "If you be a chef, you will always have a job." I was like, what do you mean by that? He says, well, you can either, it doesn't matter if you work in a McDonald's or a cruise ship or a banquet hall, whatever. So everybody needs to be fed, so you always have a job. So it's like, food is life, you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, you might have some of that. Sat down in the, <laughs> cre- sat down in the cruise office with my mum and this woman. She's like, right, Gareth, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I'm going to be a chef. And my mum nearly fell off a chair. She was, like, <laughs> she was like, you are, you don't eat anything. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I'm going to give it a go. So then I got um, signed up NVQ and my first interview was the Seven Stars of Shincliffe. And that's where the great journey began. And, you know, I hated it at first. <laughs> yeah, I was making like 300 sandwiches a day. Yeah, I remember the first time, one of my first days I was there, I was trying to make a BLT. And I think, do you know them tomato serrated Victorian Ox tomato knives you get? I, yeah. had, I had one of them, brand new. And I think I cut every single finger on both hands trying to make one sandwich. Uh, <laughs> I remember going into the toilet, the staff toilet, and locking the door and just having my hands in the sink and there was just blood coming out my hands everywhere and I was just crying. I just wanted to go home. I was just like, I want to just go home. We don't like this, I'm not, I don't want to do it. I didn't even finish the sandwich. I don't think I'd sent the sandwich out. <laughs> I don't think you want to Probably eat that. Probably wouldn't sa- want it, to be honest, you if it was want- covered in blood. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then I just like, 
kind of grew up a bit and got into it. And the boys that I mentioned before were all there, like Steve and Michael and Mark. And we had a great time and we used to have a good laugh. And we obviously it wasn't serious. Like the food was good, but it was just pub food. But then I met a guy um, called Alan, who's a good friend of mine. And he kind of said to me, like, you need to get out. You're quite a decent chef, like for your age and the fact that you've never worked anywhere decent before. Like, And he gave me a copy of the Good Food Guide and that's when the journey started. You know, he he was the first one to get me onto the uh, the old book, and and open my eyes to the real restaurant culture in this country. It's great though to listen to a story where it, you know it isn't. Oh, I've always wanted to be it since I was a kid, and I did this, and then I went there, and it was all great, and then that was great, and and even you talked about sort of moving forward from from the seven stars onwards. You had a, a bit of a trial at at restaurant Gordon Ramsay and, and sort of said it, it wasn't for me. Why was that? Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I remember going down, man. I think I was only like, I think I might have been 18, 19. I can't remember how old I was now. And I, I went down there and I'd never seen anything like that before. I was very green. You know what I mean? Like, you think you're like, you think you're the boy, don't you? Like, on the street in the northeast, like, yeah, whatever. And then you get down there, it's a whole different kind of world. And I, I spent a couple of days in Gordon Ramsay's kitchen, and I mean he wasn't there. It was I can't remember who was there now. Well, I do remember it was Mark Askew and uh, Claire was there, and Simon Zamoni was there. I think he was the exec chef or the head chef at the time, and it was just brutal, like watching people kill nearly kill each other all day over stupid stuff and. Yeah, I was just like, why the hell would I want to move here? <laughs> you know? and uh, Not for me, thanks. I mean, I regret it because I should have done it, but I, like, I'd obviously it hasn't affected my my um, journey because we're still here, we're still going and we're doing all right, you know? But it would have been nice to get under my belt, you know what I mean? Um, maybe if I'd gone there a few years later, it would have been a different story. Um I actually have a good friend called Tony Parkin, who's he's a very, very close friend of mine. And he we swear down blind that our times matching, he was actually working there at the time. But I wish I could remember him because, uh, yeah, he says, I, I must have been there when you came and did your trial. I was like, oh, God, I can't remember you. It was brutal <laughs> anyway. That, it was that kid from the north shaking in the corner is probably what he thought at that time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. It was yeah. scary stuff, man. Are you, are you talking about using the word scary and the atmosphere and the intimidation there? And again, just to sort of go back to another sort of paragraph you'll find on, on your website. Um, in a series, a young team, passionate for what we produce and how it develops a close team. There's no shouting here. Each member is respected for what they do and yeah. how they progress. 100%. So is that, is that something that you you learnt from kitchens like that? Is that just your way? Um, Why is it so important that you even have to have it on your website that that's how it is in your kitchen? Um, it's nice to put it on there for people who are looking to come and work at your restaurant because, like, not every chef is, you know, built for that kind of thing. You know, a lot of, a lot of chefs or a lot of waitresses and stuff, like, wouldn't enjoy or wouldn't even put up with the fact that you can you're gonna like some of the kitchens i've worked in are pretty brutal you know i mean sats was hard you know but it was hard because that's the way he ran his kitchen and that's the way he ran his ship and it was amazing but it was tough you know every day was tough you know and i came out of that situation the same because i was 
our sous chef there and me, John and Sat ran that together, you know, but I had a lot of responsibility and like, if I didn't run it the way he wanted it, I would get fucked, you know? So it was like, I either do it, I've got to learn how to run a kitchen the same way. Otherwise I'm in trouble. And obviously I don't want to be in trouble. I want an easy life, you know? So I've, you've got to obviously join forces as a team and run it how he wants it run. Cause that's his kitchen. And I came out running it, my kitchen here, very similar but the difference was I wasn't Sat Baines. You know, I didn't have his reputation. I didn't have his accolades. I didn't have, he, you know, I wasn't as good as him. Um, so people would come and I'd be an absolute arsehole to them. And they'd just leave because <laughs> it was this guy, you know what I mean? And it, was, it, it it's as plain as simple as that. Like, who the fuck is this guy I think he is? Like, you know what I mean? And I was I was horrible. And um, I mean, I was going through a really shit time at in life as well. So it didn't help. I was in a really bad place. Uh, so obviously my thinking and my mind and the way I behaved wasn't normal anyway. And then it got to the point where like we'd won a star. It was a Sunday night. I was in the kitchen on my own, cooking a taster menu for four guests, trying to prep everything as I was cooking because I didn't have any chefs. I hadn't had any chefs for weeks and it was a seven-day operation, so you were literally prepping as you were going sometimes because you were doing afternoon teas, room service, bar snacks, all of it, all the other stuff that came with the hotel back then on your own. And I remember just sitting on the floor in the kitchen in tears thinking, like, I've got a Michelin star here. Like, what is going on? You know what I mean? Like, why is it like this? Like, well, how, why am I on my own? Why have I got no chefs? Why is it so hard? And then you just think, well, why? It's because you're an asshole, mate. <laughs> as simple as that. And it takes it takes a bigger man to 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 take that and say, actually, the problem isn't everybody else. You can you can carry on blaming everybody, going, oh, he's rubbish. You can't put up with it. Or you know what I mean? Like, if you can't take that, you know, it shouldn't be. You can blame other people, but at the end of the day, the book's got to stop you. And I thought, and I said to myself, for my own health as well, because I was I was making myself ill. I'm gonna stop the stress. Yeah, stress. And like I said, like I, I had shit. I had a lot of shit going on at the time in my life as well, which, which was making me ill too. And um, so I thought, there's only one way this is gonna go, you know, <laughs> and it's gonna be like me in a box, I think. Um, so I stopped, stopped being an asshole, and I completely changed the way I ran a kitchen. You know, we're all human beings; we all make mistakes. And our philosophy then turned around to solutions, not problems. And that's the way we run the place now. It's like, instead of standing around going, oh my God, I can't believe you fucking done that. Oh, this is fucking shit. You fucked it all up. Oh, this is, oh, this is all done now. Just going, um, okay, that's a problem. How are we going to solve it? Let's solve it now. Let's move on. If we need to talk about it later, we'll sit down and talk about it. If it's not worth it, then we'll just forget about it. You know what I mean? Everybody makes mistakes. Problems happen. But having that like open like mind and that open relationship with your staff and running your ship like that means that everyone's really honest and like if something gets broken they tell you you know if something gets lost they'll tell you if like if you forgot to order something they'll tell you like and there's nothing hidden there's nothing like secrets there's no like reason to be losing my temper you know things get broken yeah sometimes like something gets broken more than once and you're like come on guys like this is ridiculous like this shouldn't be happening you know that that that's that gets broke if you do that. Can we all just use our heads here and sort this out? You know what I mean. But it's always like 
my guys will come to me now with a solution before they've taught me the problem. You know, and that's so they've already solved it, but they're just telling me. They're like, okay, chef, the, um, the bread hasn't worked today, but it's all right because we've got some in the freezer. It's already in the oven. It's fine. We already sorted it. So how how quickly would you say that you realised that, you know, you changed your ways and then you thought, do you know what? I'm enjoying this a lot more. The brigade's enjoying a lot more. So you realised that, but then also you thought, why was I being like that in the first place? How how quickly down the line did you think, did you come to that sort of realisation? You thought, well, you quite, don't need to do that all those years. Yeah, quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you start to go, like, when you start employing people and they stay for, like, longer than five minutes, and they're not disappearing during the night, you know what I mean? Um, and then you start building a brigade and then people start saying, oh, I love working here, it's amazing. We have so much fun. And then you start having more fun and then you start doing more crazy stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's only one way forward here, one direction, sorry, and that's forward. Like, we never go backwards. We never look backwards. Like, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Because everyone's having fun, you can do more fun stuff. You know what I mean? And, like, the DJ happens and, you know, service goes a bit crazy and chefs are bombing around all over, like, waiting on tables and just, like, customers are coming into the kitchen and doing daft stuff and it's all absolutely mental. You know what I mean? It's like... It's just about having a great time and everyone has a great time. The staff stay longer. People leave and only have good things to say about you, you know, which is good, you know. And a lot, then, then you start building up a, 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 a list of people that want to work for you because they want to come and have fun, you know. And I think we've got to be one of the only restaurants in the, in the UK with a waiting list of chefs and staff to come and want to work here because... Yeah, we like I said before, we take our uh, we take ourselves like with a pinch of salt, but we take what we do very seriously. We're using the best ingredients you can buy. We you know we're trying to serve some really awesome, tasty food. We're having a great time, but we we're doing it as we're enjoying ourselves, and I think that's very like, yeah, people want to be want to work here and want to experience that. And we spoke about all the accolades at the start, <laughs> but even with that, it must be so much more satisfying when you get you know, named as the chef of the year to celebrate with your team rather than a couple of people probably saying, well done, chef, because they feel like they have to and then going off and doing their own thing because they think you're a pain in the backside. Yeah, celebrating with your team is amazing. Like, like, everything we win is 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 the team. Like, we don't do it. Like, like you can't do it on your own. As simple as that. I'm definitely not here. Um, and it's just like, I get gutted when we don't do certain, when we don't win certain things. I know, And I get gutted for them because they get really excited by it and then it's like, I mean, like what I said to you before, I'm like, I'm nearly 40. It is what it is now. Like I, I've learned, like I think everyone, every chef gets to the part in life where they start to realise that, like I said before, these guides are just opinions and they just, they exist. And we've got huge respect for them. Don't get me wrong, like Michelin Guide and Good Food Guide, huge respect. These, you know, you want to be in them and you want to be at the top, but you don't, you stop living your life by them. But then these younger guys that are like when I was their age, they like get dead excited. Oh God, we just got we're gonna get that second star this year, chef. And they're like, you know, like yeah, well, you know, we'll wait and see what happens, you know. And then they don't get it, and they're all walking around the kitchen with their head down. It's up to you to build them back up, you know. Like, come on, guys, it's, we we I'm still fucking proud of what we're doing, you know. In my opinion, it's three stars, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and you just like. You've got to build them back up and get the fucking DJ. Like, mate, it's up to you tonight. You need, <laughs> you need to pull the tunes Big out the back. Big for you tonight, yeah. sunshine. And it is like that. That's what we do here. Like, the DJ will come in and I'll be like, mate, we've had a shit day today. It's up to you. You've got to sort it out, man. 
<laughs> and he'll come in. He'll be like, he'll be like, yes, chef. Don't worry, I'm all over it. And he'll and he pulls it out, and the before you know it, the chefs are dancing around the kitchen, and it's all forgotten about. You know, the porridge you're blasting out just before the customers come in, and oh, we've got a bit of runny size on. You know, just like blasting out the drum and bass while we're setting up, getting all sorted, and it's all forgotten about. It's gone, and then we just move on, and the next day is 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 the new day. That's it, done. Time has absolutely flown by, but can we just finish with a few quick fire questions? The burning issues. Well, these are those quick fire questions. We are starting, and I know you're a man who likes sort of 26 courses for your dinner, but we're, I want, if we can, to get it down to an ultimate three course meal. Right, okay. Ultimate three Go course meal. Um, oh, I'm going to be big after this three course meal. <laughs> I would hope so. <clears throat> um, my mum's spaghetti bolognese as a starter. Okay. Big as ball a of it. Starter, yeah. It's me. Yeah. Um, lamb roast in there with mint sauce everywhere. Tons of it. Yorkshire puddings. That's have to have Yorkshire puddings. Don't give me no lamb dinner without Yorkshire puddings. Gareth, where do you stand on Yorkshire puddings with Christmas dinner? Uh, Yorkshire puddings with every dinner. With everything, yeah. I mean, I'd, have, I'd serve coffee. a curry in a Yorkshire pudding if I could. <laughs> I think I had that at Glastonbury one year actually, yeah. curry in a Yorkshire every day I wake up and go I could, I could kill a Yorkshire pudding today <laughs> I've actually just cooked them and eaten them just straight up like I love them <laughs> just, a, just a snack a yeah, yeah just a Yorkshire pudding snack isn't it it's incredible <laughs> and nice. then and then a tiramisu all day long for a dessert solid like yeah that. tiramisu um, a proper tiramisu as well not like, the, not like the one we do you know what I mean like a proper like it's a, it. a ball, big ball, boozy as fuck, like off your booze. face when you finish, like you, you <laughs> off your face, tiramisu. Yeah. No room for just mash and gravy. You've obviously just well, grown up a little the bit. The mash and gravy's on, the mash and gravy's on the on the uh, lamb dinner, isn't it? With the lamb, of course it is. Yeah. There's, just a bit of mint in it. I've grown up a bit. I put mint sauce in it now. Raw, you, you've changed. <laughs> you've changed, Ward. <laughs> Uh, right then, dreams, dream chef's table. You've got four places. You're, you're cooking for for four four seater chef's table, alive or dead. You can have one chef if you want. You don't have to, but only one. Oh, it's got to be. I'm. It's gonna. It's got to be. My mum's got to be there. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, she's not here with me anymore. And um, yeah, I would love to have seen what we've done here now. That would. If she, I think she'd have absolutely loved it. Um, oh, this is really hard, you know. Can we come back to that one? <laughs> no. Come back to that one. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, can, no, no. Let's finish it, yeah. it now. I, okay. you know, do you know what it is? I'm going to say that you might not be impressed with this, but my two daughters, because my two daughters are vegetarian and really picky, and all okay. I want to do is sit them in the restaurant and let them eat, and I think okay. they'd really enjoy it. And Amelia, my partner, who's obviously grown up as a vegan, right? But I'd love wow. to. I'd love to feed her my food. And I know she yeah. she loves food. I know this is really boring because she sat there going, oh, why is like Freddie Mercury not there or Al Schwarzenegger or whatever? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know them guys. You do nothing for me. Like, I, you know, like, I don't, I've got no personal attachment to any of them people. And I cook, like, and I want, like, I'd love to see my kids eat my food and I'd love to see Amelia eat my food, you know. Amelia is, like, she's so into food, but she's vegetarian, vegan, and I, and I just know that she'd love what we did and she loves flavours and she like I'd love for her to try what we did here, you know. And yeah, they're the four people that definitely the four people I'd like to eat on the table. Great answer. Yeah. Um, I must just say that one of the um one of the answers from previous pods is that 
Alex Claridge instead of who's uh, I think you've known from the wilderness in Birmingham. He's yeah. his ultimate three course meal. He said, I don't want an ultimate three course meal. I just want to sit down and have 26 courses with Gareth Ward. So no way. Oh, how nice is there that? You go. Oh, tell him thank you, you very much. Thank you, Alex. Um, two to go. Two to go. Yeah. Kitchen nightmares. We've had one about a bloody BLT. Have you got anything else in your locker? Oh, shit. You know, I've had so many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. You know what it is when you ask a question like that? You can't remember any of them. But you know yeah. there's been so many. I think one of the ones that's just flashed in my head now is when I, I, it was 2014, so I'd been at Inesia six months, it was February, it was four days before Valentine's, times were already hard because I wasn't a great, I wasn't, I wasn't best at then, so you can imagine what the stories I've told you before, this huge storm comes in, right, I think it's like still one of the biggest storms ever to pass around here, and, like, we stood in the restaurant watching... We've got these huge, huge trees in the garden. We're, we, we're three less than there was when I first started because you were just watching them come down like matchsticks in the garden. Like, they didn't even exist. All the electricity went. Phone lines a lot, right? We had a hotel full of people that wouldn't go home. They wanted to stay. <laughs> so we had a kitchen, which... Ben, the kitchen then was... The industry kitchen, when I started here, was just like a slightly better version than your kitchen at home. It was, it was, uh, it was shit. <laughs> it needed, a, <laughs> it needed some love, which we did get, and we got a lot of love. Um, it was all gas with this really old Bonnet gas stove, which was absolutely red hot. So there's no extraction, there's no lights, there's all gas. The kitchen's boiling. I've got a hotel full of Relais Chateau customers that won't go home and still want to be fed, like, the best food. Like, kicking off because I can't feed... <laughs> kicking off. I, I remember, like, every night I was having to come up with a menu, so just, like, cooking. Like, tonight I'm doing leek and potato soup, steak and chips, fucking um, apple crumble. That's what I'm doing. And they're kicking off. They're like, is that... Is, I can go home and cook that. I'm like, we're fucking... <laughs> Go home then. <laughs> Please do go home. Yeah, I'm like, it's. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. This is this is shit. Like, do they not understand? It's like people keep ringing me, going, "Oh, have you got any? Do, do you know when you'll be open?" I'm like, like at the moment, I'm like, no, do you? I'm, <laughs> I'm sat. I'm sat in the dark. Hey, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then it gets to Valentine's Day. Right, bear in mind, I've got a generator. I've got, I've had to hire generators to keep the fridges going. I've, I've had to lift all of the fridges out of the kitchen into the top shed, all plugged into this generator. Kitchen's upside down. I can't see anything, so I haven't been able to clean, deep clean for for four days. Gets to Valentine's Day. I've got a fully booked restaurant with hotel. No one's cancelled anybody, so they're all still coming. Gets to three o'clock in the afternoon. Electricity comes back on. <laughs> Zero mise en place for the. Valentine's Taster menu, which was like seven courses. <laughs> yeah, I think I had like me and two other staff had to literally like hammer the kitchen clean <laughs> and mise en place for like this 20 cover, seven course Taster menu for Valentine's night, which we still did. I mean, we actually did it, which was the best thing. But I was just thinking, like, how is this, how does this even happen? Man? Like, <laughs> the, the, we shouldn't be open. This shouldn't be happening. 
Like, what is going on here? <laughs> hey, it's a kitchen nightmare with a happy ending. Right, last, last but not least, I want your golden nugget. I want your piece of advice for home cooks, be big or small, but what, something that they can improve the way that they, they cook at home. Um, just keep it simple, innit? Buy the best ingredients you can find and just keep it really simple and just, yeah, all about flavour. Just use the best that you can find, you know, like... That's that's what I do, you know, like when I'm cooking at home, just like just don't try and make it too hard. A lot of people try and make things really complicated at home. And you like I hate cooking at home because it's not my kitchen at work, you know, like I've done more cooking in the kitchen at home than I've ever done in a home kitchen over the last last, last eight weeks or whatever it is. And I've hated every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's not your kitchen at work, you know. And um yeah, just keep it simple, buy the best. Find a good butcher, buy some awesome meat, get a good relationship with them, and just yeah, that's that's all. I, that's all I was here. And maybe stick a Himalayan salt chamber in the get, garage or something. Get a Himalayan. I mean, at the moment, I've got one in my house because it's it's over there. Brilliant. <laughs> I've got a sirloin steak in there at the moment, just the edge nicely. For I, bet, me. I bet that it goes really well amongst the child's toys and sort of mobiles and cots and stuff. Yeah, does he likes it in there? <laughs> Listen, we could we could go on for another two hours. Yeah, but I, let's I do it. You've got you've got you've got parenting and restaurant owning to do. So thank you so much. Thank Cheers. You Thanks. So thank you for having me. Time, it's, it's been awesome. It's been, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Um, the Lighthouse family are going to play us out. Uh, are they? <laughs> we'll, no, they're not. Uh, they're firmly in the bin now. Yeah, so we'll yeah. see you next week for another episode. Bye for now.